From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host today, Brian DeAngelis, a managing director here at HPS. And I'm excited to have joining me a longtime friend and a partner I've worked with for a number of years here in D.C., Brett Garson. Brett is the managing director and chief counsel for Smith, Dawson & Andrews, a government affairs company here in D.C. We first met, Brett, probably five years ago, working on behalf of the Chicago RTA. And uh, I was impressed with your work back then. And... um, You've indulged me over the years as as being kind of a go-to expert that I can call on transportation and infrastructure issues. So uh, as the infrastructure debate kind of really heats up, I really wanted to have you on the show. I'm excited to to have you there. So let's jump into it. Brett, thanks for being here. Kick us off in terms of where you see this this current infrastructure debate as as we stand here today. Brian, thanks so much for having me on uh, the podcast. It's kind of crazy for me. I've been I've been working on these infrastructure issues, transportation, aviation, since I, I started in advocacy 13 plus years ago. And I, I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen sort of the situation where all the stars are aligning. And I think yeah. you really need to sort of take a step back and look at where we were at the end of 2020. We knew that the campaigns were really being run and discussion is being talked about, where could there be, you know, divisions bridged? And now President Biden, the campaign uh, Biden, uh, was talking about infrastructure. And as you know, President Trump talked about trying to do a big infrastructure bill several times. And we saw what happened with the election. And then I think what really set where we are today was the runoffs in Georgia. It's easy to say that those were trillion dollar changing election outcomes. I mean, that's fair to say, if you look at the COVID relief package, you know, that we're looking at a different package. We're looking at different priorities, especially if you look at the state and local government funding, and then you go to infrastructure and infrastructure was going to be a priority, no matter who's going to be controlling the Senate. Yeah. You make a really good point there. I mean, I, I kind of glossed over that, but for I mean, both parties and certainly President Trump and now President Biden, infrastructure has been a top agenda item for them. And we'll, we'll get into it in a second. There's a lot of disagreements in between, but, but you're absolutely right. This is one of the first times I can think of in my career where both parties had this at the top of their agenda heading into an election. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's really remarkable to think we know that at the end of last year, or I guess you could say the summer of 2020, there was a big infrastructure bill that was passed by the House Democrats, but that wasn't going anywhere on the right. Senate side. It was it was at that point more of a messaging bill. But that's really what we're looking looking at in terms of dollar contours. Now, you need to take a step back and, and see what you know was in the Biden proposal. It's a lot of infrastructure, and we can go into the different types of infrastructure and I imagine that we will. But if you're talking about sort of the the core things that we think about, water, broadband, of course roads, bridges, mm-hmm. transit, inner city passenger rail, et cetera, et cetera, we're looking at 
six, $700 billion. That, you know, that's a lot of money. And that's not necessarily policy that's been written out or it's been decided on already. Whereas we, if you looked at the house proposal, I mean, that, those were, that was legislation that was marked up that was right. uh, ended up being passed by the house. And, you know, we knew details on that stuff. So the number was there on the house side, but, you know, fast forward to what we're looking at now, that was 1.5 trillion. Now we're looking at the beginning with the jobs plan, 2.25 trillion. Right. And again, that includes a lot of infrastructure. There's, you know, funding for uh, elder care that a lot of folks don't consider traditional infrastructure. I know of course in the Republican package that was released last week, the $568 billion package, they're looking at, at more of the traditional core infrastructure areas. They're looking at roads and bridges. Yeah, it seems that way. And, and you just mentioned that a minute ago and kind of did some math on your own. I mean, would you say that's sort of the floor of, of what the country needs? You know, a $600 billion infusion for, for roads, bridges, broadband, things we absolutely need. I can make an argument we need the other stuff too, but we'll save the the definition of infrastructure argument for another day. Exactly. I mean, I think that that really is the, you know, the lower levels that, that we need. If you look at the, you know, the engineering associations, the ASHTOs of the world, our roads and bridges are not in great shape. Right. If you look at the American Public Transportation uh, Association, our transit backlog is enormous. And so that's really just looking at those three areas and we're, you know, you could argue those are in the trillion dollar backlog. And then yeah. we're, talk- we're not even getting into the water infrastructure, the ports, the inland waterways. I mean, we're talking, there are some serious needs. And if we, you know, want to upgrade them, we're going to need at least a floor of that number. And the other interesting thing, and because we don't have exact details on how the budget's going to be laid out, is that the Biden proposal, my understanding is that that's on top of our current baseline laws. So with Trent, right now, the House T&I committee and the different committees in the Senate, they're going to mark up their surface transportation bill. It's going to be like, you know, likely be a five-year bill like the last time right. around, you know, the Invest Act, $500 billion over five years. They're likely to do something similar. But with the Biden proposal, that's on top of what they would do for a reauthorization. That's my understanding of reading it. What what I believe the Republican proposal does is that's including baseline numbers. So it's not on top of, you know, what would we, we would be doing under current law, which if you look at the broadband section, that is on top of where we are currently right. in the Republican proposal. So it may not be as much money as it first seems if you're looking at where current spending takes place in the federal budget. And that's sort of where I think it's differentiated between the, the Biden proposal on top of the much larger number and, and the, the several different categories of infrastructure they get funded under Biden. Uh, but it is, it, you know, I think at the very minimum, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And I was impressed. Um, Biden's, you know, sworn up and down. He wants this to be bipartisan. And I, I give him a lot of credit for the effort. And some will attack him for saying he didn't do that on COVID. It was 
it was a bit of lip service, but I was struck. He's, he sort of welcomed Capito's proposal. I don't think he agrees with it. I think Senate Dems largely kind of panned it, but Biden seems open to talking. And it seems to me that we're starting to define the boundaries of the debate. I, I don't personally think we're going to pass only a $600 billion plan. I'm not convinced we're going to pass a $2.25 trillion plan, but it seems like the two sides now understand where the boundaries are and they're going to try to find a place in the middle. That might be a little naive and optimistic of me, but um, it seems like we're going to get higher to a trillion or so. Would you agree? I think at least a trillion or so. If you saw, I believe it was yesterday, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, a mm-hmm. key a key vote in the Senate, came out and said, this is a good good first starting point uh, with the, the Republican plan that came out. And I think, you know, he's sending a signal that, come on, like, let's let's all try to continue this conversation. I think the the Biden folks, the, the administration, they've got a goal and it's to get something really big done in this first year. And I can give you my prediction at some point, but I think they're going to make sure that something gets done. And I think they want to bring along some of these middle of the road Senate R's and Senate D's. Right. And at the end of the day, they might have to use reconciliation. They probably will if it's a, it's a large bill, but I bet you they're going to include some things that are going to make these more middle of the road senators happy. And, you know, they're maybe they don't vote for it, but it might buy them some goodwill down the line. I think, you know, they'll be able to go home and say, I fought to make sure this got in there. I didn't like this bill because it raises our debt and deficits. But guess what? There's a workforce development program that really addresses rural areas and coal mining, getting us to clean technology. Um, yeah, talk about earmarks in, in that sense. I mean, Senate Republicans technically are, are still opposed to earmarks, although if you listen to, to Shelby and others, it's sort of a, I don't know how to describe it, unwritten rule, right? It doesn't stop anyone from actually requesting an earmark. He seems to be ready to make his own request and accept others. How much is that going to help grease the skids, if you will, like back to our probably formative years on the Hill where earmarks helped bring people together, helped get bills done. And, you know, if there's enough coming home to West Virginia or to some other kind of swing states, people will get on board and we can get to at least 50, if not 60 votes. I honestly, Brian, I feel like while it may not be a thing that comes out publicly, it's going to be an incredibly helpful tool. Now, if you talk to congressional staff right now, especially on the House side that are dealing with all the forms that you've got to make sure and, you know, make sure all the projects qualify and they're eligible, you know, they're like, why did we bring these back? But, you know, half kidding. I really do. This is a busy time of year for those guys. My, my, my wife's in that business and yeah. Yeah. See her in a couple of weeks. It's so busy, but I really think, you know, there might be some fights that don't become fights that may have happened, you know, but for an earmark coming to a specific district, I think it, you know, it may not be this large grand thing that brings in 30, you know, house Republican votes at that if there, if it's more of a partisan bill at the end of the day, 
but I do think at the margins where it really can matter, especially in, you know, a tightly margined House and Senate in terms of votes, I think it really could make a difference and get some stuff done that, that may not have gotten done. And to be totally honest, a lot of these members, they might have local governments or nonprofits in their district that don't have the staff time or the sophistication to really get federal money. And finally, they can, you know, figure out a way to, to provide some resources because they know right. they really do know their districts or their states at times better than, um, you know, many others that might be making decisions in their state capitals or, or decisions in Washington. So I think it's going to be a helpful tool. And I think they're really trying to get it right and make sure that, you know, this isn't getting abused and we'll see how this first year goes. Yeah. I I want to, uh, I want to take a break, but I'll uh, just a final thought on that front. I, I, I'm impressed by the way Biden and Democrats are sort of flooding the zone with different strategies that are going to make these votes difficult for Republicans. They're, you know, earmarks, A, help you support it. But if you're also in a mixed state, meaning your delegation is, is Republicans and Democrats, if, if there's a package that gets in there that benefits your state and then you go and vote against the total thing, that's going to start to get fairly difficult and put some pressure on you. And I do, uh, we probably won't have time to get into all of it today, but I do think splitting infrastructure, the, the jobs plan with the family plan, I'm very curious to see where this goes with Biden, but I, I think, you know, both are a priority for him, but it, it sort of allows Republicans to support one, which is the infrastructure, as we talked about at the beginning, while opposing the other, which we probably most of us smart politicos can assume they would have voted no on anyway. And so bifurcating them maybe gives better chances to infrastructure, but more of a conversation, I guess, for another day. Let's take a quick break. And Brent, when we come back, you hinted at some of this, but I really want to talk about kind of the local and state focus on on a federal infrastructure plan and what local leaders want. So We'll take a quick break. You're listening to HPS Insights. We'll be right back. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. We're back on HPS Insights. This is Brian DeAngelis, your host today, and I'm with my friend Brett Garson of Smith, Dawson, Andrews. Brett, I want to um, take a step out of the beltway, if we can, for for the second half of of today's shows. Uh, You and your colleagues do a lot of work on behalf of state and local governments and, and state agencies. And at the end of the day, there's, there's going to be a lot of talk about Manchin and Capito and Biden and the total cost of this package. But a big chunk of that money is going to flow to local governments and local agencies. And their piece of the pie will get presumably bigger and they'll be able to address some of their needs that we talked about, like roads and bridges and broadband and other issues. Talk to us about how important this debate is 
for your clients and the officials you work with at the state and local level? I think that that's a really good question, Brian. I would say that the money that went in the uh, American Rescue Plan for state and local government was critical. What, what's really been helpful for me and taking a step back is that I, as you mentioned, our, our company works with state and local governments all over the United States, and they all have different profiles. Some are more affluent than others. Some are, are smaller in population. Some are counties. You know, some are villages, cities, all over the United States with different issues. But you know, it really helps me keep sort of a pulse on what is important. And you know, as being inside Washington, sometimes you you lose sight of that. For sure. You know, having having sort of this clientele along with the other clients we work with at our firm is really helpful to to like what's what's the feel on the ground and infrastructure from day one has always been a top priority up and down and it really starts with you know your sort of the, the I, you don't have to call them rust belt but midwest i'm i'm a clevelander i call it rust belt uh right you know your wastewater your water infrastructure your roads bridges highway i mean just sort of like what we think of as basic infrastructure. And that's always been a priority. What I'm, what I'm seeing, even in the, the local government clients that don't have the budgets that some of uh, our larger ones or ones in larger, you know, urban centers or in areas where the economy's just been booming or it's been, right. you know, had strong 10, 20 years is that they are all really looking at sustainability too. And, and really in broadband, and this really goes back uh, almost to the, I would say, the end of uh, the Bush administration to the transition to the Obama administration and as, as kind of move forward to the sustainability thing. And now it's, you know, if you don't, if you're not thinking about sustainability, resilience, extreme weather, climate change in making planning decisions as a local government, you're right. probably not, you know, thinking through it the way you should be. And so to answer your question, yes, it is, yeah. this is going to be game changing, especially if it's on top of programs that are already going to be funded through our federal budget. And this will allow some really important projects to get off the ground. Yeah, which I think is an important part of the debate, right? I mean, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about roads and bridges and our, our mind goes to infrastructure repair. Right. And, I, and I'm probably guilty of this. I remember, you know, back in my Chris Dodd days, you know, Dodd and Hagel talking about repairing bridges in an infrastructure bank. And I believe it was in Minneapolis right around that time that that tragic accident of the bridge yeah. collapsed. Um, but there's so much. We also talk separately about the investments these communities need to make for the jobs of the future and the economy of the future. And a big part of that package is about the future. I'm, I'm curious how much of that argument are these local leaders kind of making to their federal delegations that, you know, Cleveland or Columbus, or to your point, even smaller communities uh, throughout the Midwest and elsewhere they need this investment to compete in the next economy. Yeah, that's that's right. The, uh, I'll just give you a, a specific example. We what we what sort of what our approach is is sometimes we try to we do a lot of coalition building. Even if right. you're you know you're trying to work with an organization that maybe isn't a client of ours, but 
it's an anchor part of your region. And we have a really interesting uh, coalition out, out west in Oregon that combines schools, tra- a transit system, counties, a city's park and rec system. And right. they all come together and, and decide on a federal agenda. We had a great meeting at the White House last week, talked about how all of this infrastructure plays in together. And it's sort of, you know, it's the, the general stuff that we typically think of, but it also brings in the, you know, the housing and the health care that's maybe part of the, the next package and, you know, the mental health issues that we're seeing right. in a lot of parts, you know, really everywhere in the United States. And the White House was really impressed by this and, and thought, you know, where did you come up with this model? We've been doing this, you know, way past when I started at Smith, Dawson, Andrews, going back 20, 30 years. And it's really helpful. And it allows you to think through these really difficult decisions because you're bringing in all of these decision makers in the region that need to be in the conversation anyway. And right. it, it gets right. you thinking about issues that maybe you haven't been thinking about when you're just worried about one or two things. And so we think that the local leaders are on the front line for deploying a lot of the money that will be part of whatever infrastructure bill that we, I feel will, you know, will become law. Uh, and, you know, I think you go to any local uh, newsroom uh, or coverage. And I think you'll hear similar things. These local government officials know that they need to get stuff done and there's an opportunity right now, yeah. and, and especially in 2021. And they understand that, that interconnectedness of the economy as, as you, you just sort of highlighted that um, yes, they may be part of the two packages, but you know, for people to work, for people to get to work and be successful in growing an economy, they need the roads and bridges to get there, but they might need the child care or the elder care as well. There's a good piece in the, in the New York Times this morning about it doesn't matter if it's because the elder worker doesn't show up or there's a traffic jam. If you don't get to work, you don't get to work, right? And so people need both. And uh, I, I suspect, some, and I, I'd love your thoughts, we're going to hear a lot about that um, in, in Biden's speech to Congress this week. And th- this episode will air shortly before that speech. But what what is he doing to the extent you can tell us to to sell this to local leaders? It sounds like you guys in particular are having some impressive meetings with the White House. Is he using local officials the right way to, to put pressure on maybe those 50th and and maybe even up to 60 votes that he needs in the Senate. Yeah, Brian, I'd say that they're being very strategic with local officials and it started from day one. I, I remember, you know, our time when uh, president Obama was in office and there was pretty significant engagement with local elected officials, but now with, with the Biden white house, I can tell you it's, it's another level. Uh, They're, they make sure that, you know, their liaison in each agency is mm-hmm. really uh, tuned in to local governmental officials and doing proactive outreach, which is, is pretty impressive. A lot of targeting roundtables that we, you know, you and I aren't even aware of are going on right. pretty regularly on several topics that hit all sorts of different policies. You know, they put a specific office in the U.S. Treasury to work on deploying a lot of this money that's going out to local governments because they know there's so much going out and there needs to be rigorous oversight and, and uh, people able to answer questions 
they're, you know, they're making sure that local governments are at the table. And they're also engaging with some of the DC stakeholder groups on very significant levels to make sure that local elected officials are aware of what's going on and that they can get a hold of them or they can get, you know, they can raise questions with them through even the stakeholder groups like your U.S. Conference of Mayors, National Association of Counties, National League of Cities, you know, your Ashtos, APTAs, right. et cetera. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm curious, we didn't spend too much time on, on the pay for debate about this, but I did want to get your perspective. Um, corporate tax, wherever that settles, to me, that'll that'll help cover this package. But I suspect, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, local leaders especially want to see more sustainable funding streams or, or some kind of long-term commitment that keeps this going for a while. Where are local leaders on, on the debate around a gas tax or user fees or, or a more sustainable funding mechanism? I think in terms of, you make a really good point, in terms of sustainable you know, structures, the, the easiest answer is to raise the gas tax, but that's, you know, you'll talk to any person in Washington that works on transportation, the, the political ad writes itself on that, that it's a regressive right, tax. Right. And yep. it's just, you know, it's so easy to do and people have been talking about it, doing it forever. It's just, it's very difficult to get behind. And if you think through it, let's say they raise the gas tax in this proposal and then there's some sort of tax credit that you get if, you know, maybe you're making under 50000 a year or, or less, 25000 a year, and it really is going to hit you if you're driving to work, trying to sell that, oh, we're raising the gas tax, but you're going to get a tax credit, not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and I think- especially now, the, the conditions that make this environment perfect for an infrastructure bill make it particularly harder, I imagine, for a gas tax coming yeah. out of the recession, a global shutdown, et cetera. I mean, VMT is, is the tool that gives you a lot of flexibility. There's mm-hmm. been pilots going back you know, almost 10 years, I believe they're trying to do in the last bill in the invest act that passed the house, there was a U S wide, uh, VMT pilot. It's really the answer. We're, we're a little off from deploying it. Republicans and Democrats are on board in a lot of respects on, on a VMT. It's just very hard to deploy. And there's still people that are like, Oh, you're tracking our phones. We're all, or our cars, that's already really happening with your, your personal phone. But there's a lot of issues that have to be worked out on that. And so we're just not into prime time. So I think what we're going to see is more deficit funding of these right. programs down the line. Uh, you know, I try, I'm trying to separate the surface bill with the infrastructure package. They ultimately might get melded together. Uh, but if you do reconciliation, it's tough to do new, you know, policy. Right, there. right. Uh, because of the rules around that could be a major hurdle yeah so that you know that might be on its its own separate avenue i just think it's going to be you know pretty difficult to uh outside of raising revenue or finding you know these one-off pay-fors it's going to be tricky on the user fee changes even though you know senator romney came out and said we should be looking at this and it's it's a really difficult conversation even though it there's there is an easy solution and then we're, right. you know, we're going to more electric vehicles. And so there's a, right. a big, you know, how do, do you pay a one-time fee or, you know, how do you get those users to pay their fair share? That's a whole right. nother conversation. Right. 
Well, we're running out of time, Brett. This has been a great conversation. But before I let you go, I did want to get your thoughts on on two things. First, what are we missing? I mean, the, the, this debate is focused, as I said, a lot on Mansion and Capito and the, and the price tag. But is there a part of this that that the media and the rest of us in D.C. are just not paying enough attention to? I think the media is starting to pick up on this. I've seen several stories written. I, I think I caught on to it pretty early on and it ties into the campaign and trying to tag something of a, a radical or super left policy on, on the president Biden. He just doesn't come across that way. There's right. been, I saw pieces this morning, how he's sort of quiet, keeping, you know, keeping to himself, not saying we're pushing this every day. I just think he's, he's got his priorities. COVID relief was one of them and they passed that and infrastructure is the other thing. And I just feel like he's getting that done. What, whatever that looks like, he's going to get it done this year. And I just think the story of him, I mean, and I had this conversation, it's almost like a, he's just this nice guy and it's hard to, you know, really tag him as this radical or make people fired up about him. He almost has, and I wasn't paying close attention to politics, but this Reagan esque vibe to him that he, you you don't re- he you can't really create this boogeyman with with Biden. Right. So I think yeah, that, they're that's having a, story- a hard time doing that. That's sure. a storyline. And then on the flip side of that, what is going to be something that comes up and it drags down that image? You know, right. we we haven't no one's really identified that yet. I think I thought the border stuff was going to stick for a while, and it's still there, and people are writing about it and they're focused, but it's been kind of quiet the last couple of weeks on that. And I know it's still there. But, you know, it was a fervor for about a week there, right, when he was about to do his first press conference. You know, what, what's, what's, what's going to bring um, sort of his, this sheen down that, be, you know, folks are, think he's unreasonable yeah. and, and get people. And, people and to flip up. that around a little, I mean, again, I've, uh, forgive the uh, transportation pun, but I, he's really kept his foot on the gas. And so he's giving people a lot to kind of consider, and he's trying to move forward on a lot of things. It was the recovery bill, then it was infrastructure, then it's the family plan, and he's got uh, the climate summit last week, and there's other, you know, issues important to the left that are moving through Congress. It's very opposite of the way Donald Trump, you know, manipulated the media, but Biden continues to just kind of push and push and push. I think he learned that from Obama kind of letting one thing out there at a time and letting it sit for a while can, you know, just give your opponents more time to, to, to pick it apart. I lived that summer of ACA, that summer recess, which, which brings me to my last question. So I, I have my thoughts, but um, let's end on a, on a prediction note. What are, you, what are your final predictions for when this gets done, assuming it gets done, and maybe you don't think it gets done, how much it's at and you know, we've seen Pelosi say like July 4th for the House. How how realistic do you think that is? I really do think it's going to get done. I think it's going to get done this year. The price tag, you know, I've seen the combined number of $4 trillion for the two pieces. Yep. I think what you, you mentioned earlier where there's sort of this more um, social family programs that will get released this week. I think that's an easier thing to knock off. Uh, even though that's critical and it, it's really important. 
uh, you know, to families. And I know it's important to the Democratic caucus. I think that, you know, we're going to see something around two, two and a half trillion dollars. I've been wrong a lot of times, but I just, I, 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 just, I get the From sense the that, that uh, the president, his, his advisors, they want to get this done and they're going to get it done. They don't care, you know, how they get it done. I think, you know, does the house get uh, their infrastructure done by July 4th? Maybe, but probably slips a little bit. And then the Senate's going to, you know, going to be after that. You know, you got always think of what are the, de- you know, what, what deadline are you hitting up against? To me, right. you know, they're going to probably try and get this done, you know, September, October. I don't think they, you know, they're getting it done before the August recess. Maybe. I think the drop dead deadline is December 31st of this year. I don't think it's going to last that long, but maybe it's a year end deal. I, again, I don't think it goes that long. But I think yeah. they're getting this done this year. And I've uh, jumped around with my own predictions. Is this a is this a Christmas Eve, you know, vote uh, to get this done? Um, but I do think and I'll, I'll stick by my latest prediction. I think Schumer will do everything he can to get this done before August recess. It'll it'll be a Herculean task. But there's a part of me that's that's scarred from you know, the, the healthcare debates where I think if, if the economy's opened up and our, our communities are opened up again, and we got a bunch of town hall meetings where folks can just kind of take shots at any piece of this legislation all August long, we're going to lose a lot of momentum. So I think Dems will try to rush it. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, Klain was there. A lot of these people, that are, that are part of this administration were there and no, yeah. you're right. I mean, you let this thing sit, it's going to get picked apart. People will find the talking points that, that work to hurt it. And I think you're right. They're going to try every effort and maybe they go along with some bipartisan talk for the next several weeks, but then they realize we got to go reconciliation right. and get this thing done. And so my, my big prediction is it's just, it's getting done this year. The, when that happens, you're, I think I, you make the strong, yes, very strong case. The number, I think, it, again, is going to be around the the two trillion mark. And I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's sort of those. Are we'll see. I've been uh, I've been wrong probably more often than I've <laughs> been right on some of these predictions. But um, Brett, uh, I really appreciate this. This was a, a great conversation. Uh, it was great to have you on the podcast this week, and uh, I'd love to get you back on soon. Maybe it will be in. Uh, in August where we can see where we are with the infrastructure debate. But um, thanks for joining us. I appreciate that, Brian. This this was fun. And hopefully my predictions aren't too off, but uh, (laughs) the listeners, I hope out there you you learned something today and just appreciate the time. And let's do it again. Let's do it. Thanks all for tuning into another episode of of HPS Insights. Uh, You can find out more about Hamilton Place Strategies work in our podcasts at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. As always, thanks for listening to HPS Insights and and thanks again to Brett. Uh, Everybody uh, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com. Mm-hmm.